You are listening to audio from Citizens Church, Elmira. You can find more resources and learn more about our church at citizensalmira.ca. And it looks like we maybe still have a pretty full house today. Um, so for those of you who haven't met me, I'm Sam. Um, with so many new people here, I bet that a decent number of you don't know that the building that we're in right now is planned to be demolished. For at least four years now, the Trinity United, which is the church that actually owns the building that we're in, uh, has been working on plans to turn this building into housing. Um, We still don't know when this is going to start, but it certainly felt like this project has taken a long time. But Trinity's timing is really nothing compared to the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. Um, I'm fascinated by this place. It's a Roman Catholic church that's currently under construction and is planned to be finished sometime in the 2030s. The crazy thing, though, is that it's been under active construction since 1882. So for over 140 years, construction was started on this church, and it was guided by this architect named Anthony Gaudi. His plans were immense, super detailed, and he knew full well that the vision could not be accomplished in his lifetime. He supervised the project full-time for 44 years till he died, and at that point, the construction was about 20% complete. So how did construction continue after that? How is it that they still expect to finish this thing in the next 10 or so years? It's because the vision didn't die with Gaudi, right? There were so many people who worked with him, engineers and stonemasons and junior architects, who would not only take the lead on the project, but would train the next generation of engineers and stonemasons and architects. So when in 1936, long after Gaudi's death, all the plans were lost in a fire, the vision of the building was not gone. All these people who had been working on it were able to come together and recreate the plans for the church. And that's the goal with citizens here. We want to raise up generations of people who can take the vision of our church and pass it on. The past three weeks, we've been going through the vision of our church as a mini-series. So I'm not going to pretend that our vision is quite as grand as the Sagrada Familia, but our vision is still very important to us. And so we've chosen to dedicate some Sundays to communicating it to our body. So whatever your role, whether you're an original architect of the vision or the proverbial stonemason or engineer, it's important that we get onto the same page. For some of you who were downstairs two years ago when we started, I hope this series is causing you to refocus onto the things that brought you here. And for the many of you that have been coming regularly but haven't had our vision explicitly communicated to you, I hope this series, I hope this series is making it clear what we do, and why we do it. And for those of you who are just visiting, which I'm sure there's a lot of you here, uh, you picked a really interesting Sunday. Um, Like Darcy said last week, we're kind of having a family conversation, but we're so glad that you can hear it and see how we work. So two weeks ago, Darcy started talking about sacred communities, which are groups of two to four guys or girls intended to be deeply personal and vulnerable, where together we look inwards. Last week, he talked about missional families. These are groups of families, usually 10 to, I don't know, maybe get up to 30 now, that will meet together with a focus on community and local missions, where together we look out. And today, I'm talking about the gathering, where we, like this right now, where we all meet together as one church body, and together we look up. 
Today's passage will give us insight into why churches in general do what they do and why that's important. And then after that, I'm going to talk about the very specific vision of citizens and how we've chosen to do our Sunday morning service. So on the slides here is a comparison of a service we did a few weeks ago on the left with the earliest church service outline I could find on the internet from around the year 100. You can see, if you go back, um, you can see that's extremely similar to what we're doing today. And in fact, if you were to show up to almost any Christian church anywhere in the world, at any time in history, you're likely to find something somewhat familiar. Why is this? Is this because Christians are just, you know, terribly unoriginal, unoriginal people? You know, maybe I am, but not in general. No, the, the reason that we see this is because we're given a clear description of the things that believers should be doing in community with one another, and perhaps there's no shorter description than these verses that we have in Colossians. Here, the Apostle Paul is writing to a newly planted church in a medium-sized town. He's giving them advice, and these passages are about how to act as a body of believers. So let's look at this first verse. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. This body metaphor is used a lot by Paul. What he's saying is we need each other. In fact, we can't even live without each other. Christianity isn't something you can do alone. If you're a Christian, you're called to be part of a church body. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how we may spur on one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Paul is saying this again. We need each other. We can't give up our church body, go home and be solo Christians. And how are we to treat each other? Look at these verses again, right? It says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Encouraging one another. We get along. We appreciate each other, and we lift each other up. And I can't say how blessed I am that I've actually experienced these exact things from you. And I want to encourage you guys. Um, if there's someone who you're thankful for, who you appreciate, Ex express that to them, okay? Encourage them. I know I'm horrible at this. This is, you know, I think, oh, you know, that was a great song, and then I say nothing. So, like, Preston, Jenny, Josh, Josh, <laughs> uh, honestly, thank you for using your mu musical giftings today. I can't really find you guys, but uh, thank you guys. That, that was wonderful. I also want to thank Cherise. Um, I think a lot of you probably wouldn't know this, but uh, unless you've been on stage and, and been doing something on a Sunday morning, um, she basically organizes every single service. So thank you, Cherise. Again, I don't know if I see her. She might be working. Um, yeah, so thank you. The next verse is, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the first half of this is talking about the word of Christ. For the Colossians, this is a collection of stories and writings that originated from the apostles, right? The group of 12 or 13 who had been chosen by Jesus. It's the Bible. And specifically here, it's talking about the New Testament. I don't have time to get into this, but the reason we place such a high value on the New Testament writings is because they have apostolic authority, meaning that the writings are either first or secondhand from these very apostles who had been with Jesus and had been chosen by him to bring the news of Jesus into the world. So with the scripture as the focal point, 
the church is to teach and admonish one another. It's critical that we don't teach and admonish one another removed from the scripture. Paul is talking about more than just preaching, but preaching is an important part of this. If you show up to a church service and the preacher isn't basing their message on the scriptures, then what authority do they have to tell you anything? The job of the preacher is to clarify, magnify, and intensify the scriptures, which is the only source of significant authority. So I want you to be discerning. When somebody gets up and gives a sermon, whether it's me or Darcy or Dusty or Harold or anyone else, you need to distinguish what is said from the preacher's insignificant authority and what's said from the Bible's ultimate authority. And a good preacher should make that really clear. Second half of this verse is about singing with thankfulness to God. Um, Music plays a surprisingly big role in the Bible. By page count, the biggest book in your Bible is a book of 150 songs. We sing songs because simply saying something isn't enough. Music is great at bringing up emotions, and that's why we sing together. Um, However, we have to be careful. Music is also great at making us feel artificial emotions. The goal is not an exceptional performance. The goal is to bring people to an honest appreciation of what God has done. Like for, for myself, I can think of you know, two popular songs as, as examples. Never Grow Up by Taylor Swift and Someone Like You by Adele. Uh, if they catch me at the right time, they can think, oh yeah, but I, it's honestly true. Um, yeah, like Someone Like You is a song about someone struggling to move on from a breakup and if I'm honest, there's nothing in my life that really connects with this. Um, the only person I ever dated was Georgia and she's my wife, so uh, there's not really much there. All the emotion comes from the great performance by Adele, right? On the other hand, Never Grow Up is a song about a little girl and the beautiful innocence that childhood has, and it makes me get emotional because I think of my own little girl and knowing that every day she is growing up. The song brings real, meaningful emotions up for me. (laughs) I didn't think I would actually get emotional, though. (laughs) We want worship songs to be representations of our true emotional state. We don't want to be caught up in Adele-like worship songs to bring up genuine emotions, not just have good performance. Paul says in Ephesians 5, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The common theme between the Ephesians and the Colossians passage is that the songs are to be expressions of our thankfulness to God for a rescue from sin and death. Thanking him that Jesus came and died so that our own failures would not result in eternal separation from God. And then the next verse is just, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And honestly, this doesn't really have much to do with Sunday mornings. It just happens to be my favorite verse, so I just couldn't cut it out because it was the next one. Uh, So I'll just read it again. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Then we're going to skip some stuff about, great stuff about how to run a household. We get to chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door for, to us for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. At the start here, Paul is talking about prayer. 
Now, this part doesn't specifically seem to be about the gathered church, right? Like the earlier stuff is saying one body and talking about doing stuff with one another. Um, but we are called to do corporate prayer. See 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul is explaining why we should pray in a way that other people can, other, can understand. He says, I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving since they don't know what you're saying? You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. The goal of corporate prayer is so, is so that others can pray along, saying amen. There's something uniquely powerful about a group of Christians multiplying their prayers together for something greater than the individual's prayer. And finally, the last part of the passage says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As a church body, it's imperative that we don't become a members-only club. We are to be welcoming and open to all outsiders. But notice this is saying more than just allow outsiders time to ask questions, right? It says, walk in wisdom. Non-Christians will see how we act, how we treat each other, and how we choose to spend our time. So I want to ask you, would the non-Christians in your life see anything different about you? Are you walking in wisdom, making the best use of your time with them? We've all experienced the negative perceptions of Christianity caused by hypocritical people who declare love for Jesus, yet have none to show for their neighbors. Don't be that person. So, with the conclusion of that passage, we kind of have the non-negotiables of a church body. If we're a body of believers, we should be unified. We should read and teach the scriptures, sing with hearts overflowing with thankfulness, pray together, and to accept and be examples of Christ's love to outsiders. If you aren't doing these regularly with other believers, then you are not a part of a church body. Now, a troubling trend I've noticed among Christians mostly of my generation, is an arrogance where they think they don't need a church body. That they can get their preaching from YouTube, their worship from Spotify, and their community from casually hanging out with friends on a Friday night. But the Bible couldn't be clearer. Both this passage and dozens of other passages in the New Testament which imply church membership. We are called to join together and participate in these bodies, in these activities as one body. And when we do them in one service, we get something that I think is much greater than the sum of its parts. There's something beautiful about seeing people, about the mixture of people, many of whom you wouldn't normally see, being unified under the same teaching, praise, and prayer. Now, some of these Christians who say they don't need a church might actually do scripture reading and teaching and singing and praying together with friends. And if so, congratulations, you've just reinvented a church service. But I think for most who don't think they need a church, is coming from a plague of busyness and disordered priorities. So I say, if this is you, firstly, good on you for coming out this Sunday. And secondly, whether here or somewhere else, you need to find a church body that you can commit to. So, so far I've talked about the biblical basis for why our church, but also basically every other church in history, do what we do. But now I want to talk very specifically about the vision of our Sunday morning gathering at Citizens. This vision is how we choose to live out what the Bible says. 
Think back to the Sagrada Familia. They could have built any old church building, and it would have been okay, but they didn't. They had a specific, exciting, engaging vision of what their church could look like, and I think we do too. So I want to be extremely clear. I've already covered the non-negotiables, so now it's getting into extra-biblical preferences and ideals. Citizens does not claim that we have the monopoly on the best way to run a church, just that we've chosen a specific way which we think will work in our community and enable us to see people come to know and be changed by Jesus, which is our vision statement. If you're a visitor and there's something here you don't like, that's totally okay. Um, we would love it if you can find a church home with a vision that suits you better. Honestly, talk to me. Talk to Darcy. Talk to anyone else here. We would love to find a church that will work for you. Some parts of our vision I think we're doing really good on. Some parts I think we might be coming short, but that's why we're doing this. To, rem to remind or even inform for the first time what our vision for the gathering really is. So first, one overarching theme to the entire vision is simplicity. We want citizens to be a simple operation, and especially our Sunday mornings. I think that by default, many churches will put most of their time, resources, and effort into what they are doing on a Sunday morning. We very explicitly do not want this. Our vision of missional families and sacred communities are at least as important to us as our Sunday morning gathering is. And we recognize that in order to fulfill the goals of sacred communities, you need to invest time and effort into those relationships. We recognize that in order to build a strong missional family, you need to invest time and effort into those relationships. Sunday mornings are just two hours out of our week. The gathering is not the goal of Christianity. It's an important way to grow and refocus our lives, but the last thing we want are people who live as Christians in a Christian community from the hours of 9.30 to 10.45 on Sundays. So, in the name of simplicity, we will make sacrifices. We hold intention, doing things well and doing them simply. I want to make an appeal to anyone who helps on a Sunday morning, whether you help with music or kids or tech or planning or greeting or coffee or lockup or preaching. If you can simplify something without sacrificing anything, do it. And if you can simplify something and it will come at a cost, consider it. We hope that by keeping the gathering simple, we can avoid people burning out for what takes place on Sunday mornings. So, with simplicity in our minds, I'll step through the five activities we call out in our vision for the gathering. These are directly from our website. Worship through music, prayer, hospitality, scripture, and confession. And you're going to notice that these already align quite well with the Colossians passage. The Colossians passage calls out singing songs, prayer, reaching outsiders, and teaching the word of Christ. Confession one on the bottom right there, is really the only thing that doesn't have a direct parallel with the passage. Um, so I'm going to go through these one by one. Music. Let me read a quote from our website. We want to do this with excellence so that our hearts are captured by the goodness and truth of God. I think we've been blessed with a disproportionately high number of great musicians. Um, by my count, we have at least a dozen regular musicians. I don't think we've had any issues with the excellency. But even... With 12, as we keep it simple, we acknowledge that to leave these people their free time and to let them go on vacations and, and the like, we will only rarely have a full stage. Sometimes we're just going to have one person up here on the stage leading worship. And sometimes, like last summer, we'll have nobody and we'll do video worship. And that's totally okay. 
Music is to be excellent, but simple. Prayer. Our goal is to lift prayer up as a critical part of our service, both individual prayer and corporate prayer. Today's child dedication was a great example of this, uh, where the missional family leaders had a chance to lead corporate prayer over these families and children. Another great example was a pre-service prayer that was happening during Lent. And I want to encourage us to grow in this, especially our time for individual prayer um, during the service. So if you're someone who gets up on stage, whether you're leading worship or doing confession or benediction or preaching, find time for prayer. Hospitality. Uh, this part of our vision has been one that's moved a lot. Originally, we'd planned to have food or coffee at every service. Then, um, right as we launched, COVID hit, and we couldn't do any. And then I think, I don't remember when it was, but we tried doing it for a few weeks, um, just consecutively once we were allowed to. And it was honestly a lot of work. It was becoming too complex for our simple vision. So we cut it back. Now we're doing it roughly one coffee and snack time per month. Um, so next one is next week, and we're having a dessert potluck, so don't, don't forget. Um, but hospitality, hospitality isn't just about having food at a service. Hospitality is all of us. How we interact after the service. Who we have over afterwards for lunch. The gathering is a place where we can reach out to new people and is hopefully the starting point for deeper, meaningful relationships. Scripture. We hold the word of God up as incredibly important. We've always had the scripture read before the sermon. We believe 2 Timothy 3 where it says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And since we believe that all scripture is, the primary way that we teach is by going through a book in the Bible from start to end, sometimes called expository preaching. So eight or nine months ago, I started us off in Mark. Uh, we're still going through it. We might not finish it until 2023. Um, we've been taking a few breaks. We just went through Habakkuk start to finish, and in the summers, we've been going start, like we did 1 through 15 of Psalms, and we're going 16 to 20-something this summer. Um, expository preaching, this, this going through a book one, one part at a time, is in contrast to topical preaching, where you jump around the scriptures to find applicable stuff. These vision weeks have been a rare topical series. We prefer going through an entire book instead of doing topical sermons for two reasons. Firstly, we believe that the scriptures speak into all meaningful aspects of our lives. If we just go through the Bible, the things that God has intended for us will be covered. Secondly, we acknowledge that our preachers are sinful, imperfect humans. I am a sinful, imperfect human. If you give me a passage, which is just the next passage in the book, I have no option but to preach what God is teaching us there. But if you let me choose what I want to preach from, you have to trust that I'm not just cherry-picking Bible passages to support what I already wanted to talk about anyways. I like how Tim Keller puts it in his book on preaching. Exposition can prevent us from riding our personal hobby horses and pet issues. It's been said that even the best preachers have only a dozen or so sermons that they re-preach simply using passages as starting points. It's then added that the worst preachers only have one repeated until it drives everyone crazy. Only the discipline of expository preaching will give us a fighting chance of escaping that trap. 
Now, we can't always do expository preaching because practically we see that certain things need to be addressed and focused on, but that is the exception and not the rule. So I just got really technical about preaching there, but I do think it's important for you as someone who probably doesn't preach to be aware of this. 2 Timothy 4.3 says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Don't let that be you. Confession. So this is definitely the most unique part about our service. Um, every Sunday we have a slot of time for reflection that is intended to point us to Jesus. It can be a number of things. This week it was used for baby dedication. Um, sometimes it's used for communion. But most often, it's someone who isn't preaching or leading worship, leading us in a reflection that they decided to do. There's a lot of flexibility in this slot. While it's called confession, it's maybe not the best name. I think we've lamented that for a, a little while. Since it's not really what you're thinking, it's not... Someone just coming up to the front and saying, oh, these are all the bad things that I did. Um, confession is named that way because it's supposed to be us confessing our need for a savior. So it can take a number of forms. It can be a personal testimony about what God is doing or has done in your life. It can be a prayer or scripture reading. It can be a devotional or something God has put in your heart. And it can be something else if you're creative. We do confession primarily as a time to point to Jesus but practically, it's also there to allow more people to be involved in the service and for more variety week to week. It's a space for those who would normally be found on the stage so they can be visible and so that they can share. And having more people involved is something as a general principle that we like. More people being involved means that each individual person doesn't have to do quite as much themselves. It doesn't mean that if you're a visitor or a new person here that we're desperate for you to start right away on something. Um, but it does mean if you're committed to citizens, you've been here for a few months, um, it'd be great if you, if you have a skill or something you can contribute with on a Sunday morning. Whether you'd be comf comfortable enough to do a confession or a scripture reading or a benediction, um, you know, whether you want to do music or help with kids or tech or greeting, if that's you, um, please come talk to me. Come talk to Darcy or your missional family leader. Um, we'd love to get you involved in our Sunday morning service. The final thing I want to talk about is our stance on kids. Um, we want children to be a part of our service. We don't want any, any child here to feel like they aren't wanted or aren't a part of Sunday mornings. So if you have a baby and they're crying, that is totally okay. If you have a toddler who needs to move around, that's totally okay. To foster this sense of acceptance, we intentionally don't start the kids' programs until after we've read the scriptures for the day. In fact, at the very start, we'd intended to not have any kids' programs at all during the service. And every kid would join us for the entire sermon. And I think most of us would agree that it's probably a good thing that we weren't very hardline about that because I think it's helpful for both the kids and the parents. Um, but we only do a Sunday school up to grade three. There's a lot of kids and teens in here right now who come regularly with their parents. So I want to say to the kids who are here right now, we really appreciate you guys. Honestly. You're here for a reason. You're just as important to us as any other adult here. And I think it's important that you understand our vision. 
Some of you will grow up to be leaders here and elsewhere. I know I didn't see myself in that way when I was like maybe like Cohen, Caitlin, or maybe like up to Teresa, Adam, Layla's age. Um, But I hope that you guys can see the opportunities to improve this church right now. You aren't too young to contribute and make a difference. And I don't want to just specifically call out you kids. Any of you can play a major role in our church. We're still figuring stuff out. If you have an idea, we want to hear it. If there's a part of this vision that we aren't doing great in, you can bring it to bear. If you love something and want more of it, you can make that happen. Because our Sunday, our Sunday morning services could still change a lot. Right? There could be a wrecking ball coming through this roof in a year, and who knows what our gathering is going to look like then. We could be in another church building, could be in a bunch of house churches, could be in a permanent location, or a very temporary one. But wherever we are, we will be a body of believers meeting regularly to pray, worship, preach the word of Christ, and be united in community as followers of Jesus. Let me pray. God, um, thank you so much for this wonderful body of believers. Um, I just thank you for citizens and the vision that you've given us. Um, I thank you for just the amount of interest that our vision has sparked in our community and all the people that have uh, chosen to attend here. Um, And we pray that whatever the future holds um, with our church and with our gatherings, um, I just pray that our services would bring honor and glory to your name. Amen.